I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. My name is Elon Jacobson, and deal-making is in my DNA. I'll be here each week talking with entrepreneurs and deal-makers about the crazy obstacles they've faced along their paths, and whether it's nature or nurture driving their success. Expect the unexpected on a deal-maker's DNA. Welcome back to another episode of The Dealmaker's DNA. Got a pretty exciting one here uh, today. One that I'm actually looking forward to learning a, a few things that I uh, have uh, you know, been questioning, whether it be Web3, Metaverse, uh, et cetera. We have Alistair Leyland. Alistair is a native Torontonian who lives uh, at really the intersection of technology, advertising, storytelling. He's a founder of Array of Stars, which we'll, we'll, we'll dive into um, you know, once we get started. And Alistair spends his time uh, with C-suite leaders to make uh, sense of Web3, Metaverse, and how brands can make an impact with these new technologies. And that's what I'm, I'm super curious about because uh, uh, I, I have, I'm very ignorant to the subject matter. And Alistair is a graduate of the Canadian Film Center and is currently enrolled in a healthcare incubator lab at MIT and Harvard Medical School, where he intends to help uh, better train medical surgeons using augmented reality. So, Alistair, thank you so much for joining me. Great to be here. Uh, looking forward to the discussion. Awesome. So, so, Alistair, before we jump into some of these questions that I have that are extremely topical at the moment, you know, would love to take a step back and just learn a little more about the origination story. I always find it fascinating. And there's, uh, there's amazing parallels that I have uh, uncovered when uh, interviewing, uh, you know, really interesting people such as yourself. So maybe you can take, take me back and, uh, you know, obviously originally from Toronto, but what did that, uh, what did that origination story entail? Great question. Thank you for asking it. So how far back do you want to go? I mean, I feel like I should get on the couch here, but um, <laughs> really my origin story is, is often included in discussions with potential and current clients to really understand who we are, who I am, where I've come from, how we see the world and, you know, how we uh, collaborate to embark on what we can do to bring the future to life. I was raised by a doctor and a teacher. And so, um, you know, from a very early age, I was, I was taught and I observed that the future is ours to make it and that we have the ability to innovate our way in and out of problems. So from a very young age, I've had that growth and innovation mindset really fostered along with what turned out to be an entrepreneurial mindset, which in my opinion is the innovation mindset plus a great deal of risk tolerance. How do you foster an innovation mindset? You know, that, that, I'm sure there's a lot of parents that would love to know how to do that because I think that's, you know, as, 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 as I think about my children getting, uh, getting older and in the society as it is today, some of those uh, more uh, simpler jobs are going to be done by robots. And I really believe that the, the, that sort of innovation mindset, the brain is going to become far more important for future generations to make an impact and to you know, find a way to, uh, to create a need for their services you know, in an in a ever-changing society. It's a great question. So I would say being comfortable and developing comfort with change. Now, we can go back thousands of years to a, a great uh, Greek philosopher who said the only constant in life is change. And, and that, you know, uh, rings true today. For me, having been educated around the Dewey Decimal System and then watch that evolve into the World Wide Web and have that evolve into Web 2 and now Web 3 and 
mobile and gestural technology and augmented reality and the metaverse, all of that, what's right in front of us, it's really understanding that uh, the foundation of life uh, remains the same, but the way that we apply that into everyday living, learning, commerce, collaboration, that evolves and our ability to make sense of it all needs to continue evolve with it. So you were brought up by a doctor and a teacher, and, and I think stereotypically those would be considered, especially maybe the doctor, a more rigid, objective-minded career path. How did they uh, foster this more innovative entrepreneurial mindset uh, when they were in more traditional careers? It's a great question. So, you know, I'll start with uh, with my old man. So he has been um, at the forefront of innovations around women's health care for 35 years. So in the mid 80s, when he was wrapping up med school, he, he, he um, as the story goes, he looked at uh, medicine as a whole and uh, evaluated where there were the most amount of innovations about to and likely to happen. And then he also looked at what areas of healthcare that required innovation. And uh, the area of women's healthcare had a lot of ground to cover. And he made it his life's work to find new ways of delivering uh, health, wellness, and value for his patients. And so to watch that uh, unfold from the late 80s through the 90s over the last you know, 35 years has been pretty staggering in terms of the way that uh, patients are treated, the types of solutions that are pioneered, and then the added bureaucratic layer of how to integrate those solutions into uh, a public healthcare system that is funded and operates on the status quo um, what we did last year is likely what we've budgeted to do this year. Um, and so, you know, really observing his work at the dinner table often um, really showed me that uh, each human being has the potential to initiate and lead great change. Uh, if given both the opportunity and they put in an incredibly meaningful amount of effort. So not a traditional doctor. I mean, uh, ultimately, no. But, you know, a, a big part of the Hippocratic Oath is finding any and all ways to deliver maximum uh, care for patients. And so with that comes the need to seek new ways of doing things. And, um, you know, that took uh, the family on a journey to different uh, cities, different hospitals, new jobs, different countries, different, you know, uh, he went back to school um, in his, in his uh, early 50s um, to figure out how not only to be a great surgeon, but uh, to handle the administration portion of integrating healthcare innovation into public hospitals in Ontario. Which is not an easy task, I imagine. You, you ended your, your, your commentary about your father with the words incredible amounts of effort. You know, I'm a, I'm a massive believer in that statement. I think that knowledge is table stakes and effort is what defines someone from being good versus great or bad. <laughs> you know, why, why, why did you emphasize that effort? Well, I saw it firsthand what it took to put together uh, talks and speeches and PowerPoints. I mean, prior to PowerPoint existing, I observed as a as a 10 year old, you know, putting slide decks together again at our at our dinner table having a wall, you know, photographs everywhere and then one blank wall. And that was so that we could project uh, 
um, you know, presentations on it uh, easily. And so really getting a front row seat to see what it takes to be best in class in an area of expertise, you know, showed me what it is required to be successful in my pursuits. So educationally, you then move into the Canadian Film Center. I mean, what, what, what spurred that move? Well, so we actually go back a little bit of a, a ways. I mean, I went to probably almost a dozen schools before uh, I, I left high school. And um, part of that was moving around a lot. Part of that was, you know, I call fostering my entrepreneurial spirit at a young age, which was really a, having a, a difficulty with authority and um, ultimately scrutinizing a great deal of um, what we were being taught and it, uh, within what context. And so I always knew I wanted to be a storyteller. It was really just the medium of which I tell those stories and the themes that I explore was going to be changing. When I left high school, I moved to London, England to do, you know, the quote unquote gap year and worked and lived in a West End hotel where I got to know guests. And I was always really keen on observing people and how they react in spaces and in certain issues and really what drives people to behave the way they do. And it was then in London, I woke up one fateful morning uh, on Tuesday, the 11th of September, um, to the world having uh, changed. And uh, all of a sudden, the hotel was, no one was traveling. There was about a dozen or so guests, some from Israel, some from Germany, some from the Middle East, a few Americans who all stuck there for like four or five weeks. And so we became this kind of little little group talking about world issues and you know, this woman from Israel must have been in her 80s talking about, you know, her her life and the, the multitude of experiences that she'd had traveling around Europe over the previous 50, 60 years within the context of, you know, an episode like September 11th. So for me, stories and the people that tell them have always been a real driving force. And, you know, 100 years ago, I would have been a writer, whereas today I get to use so many different tools and technologies and collaborate with so many different specialists to tell those stories and unearth those truths. That took me uh, actually uh, to Montreal, where I enrolled in a, a specialized technical film school at Old Montreal, where we not only focused on uh, storytelling, but also learned things like Photoshop and After Effects and uh, video editing and motion graphics and all of these kinds of tools and tactics that um, are so relevant today. 20 years ago, it was pretty niche. And so that sort of gave me some insight into the world of, of digital uh, web design, development, coding, all of these things that now are really at the forefront of how brands and humans uh, interact with each other and tell stories. I want to double down on this concept of storytelling. You know, for me, it's it's such an interesting one. It's the, the first question I wrote down as we started talking, as, as I was introducing you. You know, I'm in a very traditional industry like investment banking. And, you know, when I tell my kids what I do, I, I, I literally say I'm a storyteller. And for whatever reason, I look around, I look at the educational system, I look at how people talk about storytelling or lack thereof, and you hear about people being in class for math or science or English, as they call it, or, you know, social science, whatever it might be. And like, no one really talks about storytelling as a skill set. And, and I've always wondered why that is, because I, I truly believe that it's probably the most important thing that one can have when one's building a career 
You know, I, I think that to be a good leader, you have to be able to tell the right story to impact people uh, and, uh, you know, allow them to see your vision. I think that to be good at sales, be a good storyteller, like literally to, to, to get promoted within a company to be a good storyteller. And I just wonder why it's not viewed through that same lens and spoken about like some of the more traditional skill sets. It's a wonderful insight and, and one that perhaps... Um you know, contributes to your thesis uh, around nature and nurture and the entrepreneurial spirit and that storytelling often happens perhaps more around the dinner table than the classroom. I know in my experience with education, uh, with the few years that I spent uh, going to Northern Secondary School in Toronto, you know, we had a, a an economics class that was really less about economics than it was about creating and sharing uh, persuasive arguments. And really getting to the bottom of, you know, what in hindsight was very much a sales-driven mandate around, you know, make a point and and prove it and let's debate. And, you know, at the end of it, we can talk about the facts, the data and right and wrong, but really let's outline what a persuasive argument looks like, what it often includes. And, um, you know, f- for us, storytelling is is such a big deal at Array of Stars because, at the end of the day, whether you're a graphic designer, creative director, a strategist, or a front-end spatial developer, you're a storyteller. You just have a different craft and expertise uh, about how you apply that storytelling. And so for us, when clients come to us with business problems or you know, ideas around solutions, we often stop them in their tracks and say why a lot, you know, enough to be classified as a, an annoying toddler, because really we want to get to the bottom of what they're trying to achieve and then figure out the, the apt technology of which to use to bring that story to life. So I want to jump into Array of Stars, but I first want to ask you about something that you mentioned. You mentioned that, you know, growing up, you had difficulty with authority. And I find that that's a common trait amongst, you know, innovative entrepreneurial types. And as, if you can't give, tell the theme, I'm a little bit jaded by the traditional educational system. And I really believe that, unfortunately, the traditional educational system tries to beat out contrarianism and, uh, you know, those that have difficulty with authority. You know, would you agree with that? And, and, and how can we do a better job of fostering that sort of mindset if we really believe societally that innovation is, if not the most important, one of the most important you know, abilities to be fostering within our next generation to keep us competitive on the global marketplace. A lot to unpack there. I mean, ultimately, we need a society of diversity. Not everyone can be a leader. However, we do need to figure out better, more actual ways of teaching initiative, the entrepreneurial mindset, the ability to embrace innovation, uh, to compete both on a local and global stage. 100% aligned with that. I mean, I think I was pretty lucky to have had a multitude of experiences in and out of the classroom that provided um, those aha moments where I realized I was capable of thinking big and also had the uh, the capacity to follow through on those grandiose visions and, and goals. I think that the way that education has evolved the last 25, 30 years has been incredibly significant. I mean, if you look at the functionality of everyday apps that are popular amongst young people nowadays, I mean, they know how to edit short films that used to take weeks or months, and they can do in moments. So the grasp of story and how to make a point, how to show something off and, and 
um, you know, convey some sort of underlying message is exponentially greater today than it was 30 years ago. And so that's really interesting. But, but do you think it's being taught properly? Because I would argue that the students at this point in time probably know more about the utilization of the, of the technology than the, uh, the teachers. 100%. And I think, um, you know, so to, to answer your question, no, I don't believe it's being taught properly, but I do believe we are covering more ground today than we were 30 years ago. I mean, I remember my, I was, uh, I was not doing well in grade nine uh, drama class. And um, I think it was more of a, a friction between myself and the, uh, uh, the instructor. And so we, you know, I, I had a little scrum with my parents and we sort of strategized ways that I could uh, create, you know, an extra credit project. And that took shape in, in a very meaningful way that forever uh, changed my life. And that was, we connected with a family friend who was doing interviews on a very meaningful project called the Survivors of the Show, which was a Steven Spielberg-led uh, initiative around documenting Holocaust survivor stories. And uh, so I took a few days out uh, for a few weeks and uh, went around Toronto and was the director's assistant for this initiative. And, uh, you know, there was laughter, there was tears, there was hardship, there was incredibly poignant moments that ultimately changed my life. And I put an assignment together and presented that to the class and, you know, that uh, my experience resonated both with myself and, um, you know, it, developed a relationship with the instructor who up until that point, uh, we didn't really have a strong one. And, you know, I, I think I owe that to uh, our family friend who was able to actualize that, my parents who were being on board with that, and ultimately the school that was able to be persuaded that that was something that made sense for me. And, um, you know, that really resonated um, and continues to. That's really cool. A lot of people don't get that sort of experience. That's for sure. So, Array of Stars. Talk to me about what you do at Array of Stars. Why did you start Array of Stars? Just give, give a little context around uh, the, the, the business. Sure. So Array of Stars is a digital innovation studio that brings the future to life. Um, we have an ever-changing toolkit that currently today includes uh, interactive web, spatial computing, so augmented reality, virtual reality. We've created our own gestural control technology that's essentially bringing minority report. I was just going to say that this is like minority report. <laughs> 100%. And so um, we're, we're using depth cameras that we, uh, up to this point, we really know is how we unlock our iPhones with our face. But these are uh, infrared cameras that uh, follow human movement that now given this uh, current and post-COVID world where we're loath to receive an iPad and put in our name and email when we go to a basketball game or hockey game, this kind of technology we believe will be uh, the next chapter of out-of-home advertising and experience in airports and malls and bus shelters and uh, sports arenas. So, you know, in your bio, there's a mention of making sense of Web3 and the metaverse. Can you give me your definition of those two terms? Sure, but we'll have to follow up next week because it might change. Yeah, okay. I mean, Web3 is essentially the next chapter of the internet. If we think about websites powered by Angel Fire and GeoCities searched with Lycos back in the mid-90s, that was Web1. 
and um, you know, Web two was really the emergence of social media platforms, Facebook and Twitter and Google, and then now we have Web three, which is a much more decentralized uh, way to share information. Within Web three, there's cryptocurrency, there's blockchain, there's NFTs, non fungible tokens, which we can talk about if you'd like, and then there's the metaverse. And uh, you know, the metaverse is less a place, in my opinion, than more of a moment of in time. It's the convergence immersive computing. So uh, an internet page, if you really break it down, it's a, it's a consolidation of, of photos or video and uh, text um, on, a, on a flat, usually flat plane that we consume in phones or laptops within a browser. Whereas the metaverse is really that first or third person immersive video game experience where you can roam free in, in a physical space. Um, we've been, um, you know, it's almost 10 years that we've had uh, the Oculus and VR headsets that still remain niche as turns out most people don't like strapping a toaster to their head and uh, uh, enjoying content or gaming. Uh, but as those toasters get smaller and more integrated, uh, perhaps in uh, fashionable eyewear or uh, one-day contact lenses, we will have the uh, ability to uh, interact more fulsomely within that space, if it makes sense. What are people not understanding? You know, because intellectually, I know that people grossly underestimate new. I just know that. And, and I know that I'm ignorant to... Uh, the complexity of metaverse and how it will play a role in all of our lives. I believe that to be true, just intellectually, but I can't put it into a story for myself. You know, why, you know, what are people underestimating as you see it about how impactful and why they should be taking, uh, you know, a very, very close look at, uh, you know, this, this kind of next generation. It's a great question. I mean, I think we don't have to look any further than our first topic of conversation, uh, which is education. You know, I know for myself, had had the Khan Academy or YouTube videos existed in high school, I would have much been able, I would have been able to wrap my mind around complex mathematical equations uh, more effectively than I could. I'm, I'm very much a, a graphical, a spatial learner. So getting that information and insights out of a textbook into my mind was was very difficult. Whereas now, you know, a 10, 15, 30, 60 minute video visualizing this complex formula and concepts, you know, it's it's like a light bulb was switched on for me. And so I think when you look at the ability to educate at scale in very impactful ways, using artificial intelligence or not, being able to you know, sync up with actual humans, voice activated, collaborating uh, in real time. I think we're uh, once we turn that on and we're able to activate those experiences at scale, then, you know, talk about the next renaissance of education and knowledge sharing um, in such a meaningful way. So, so I could totally buy you know, this virtual reality, augmented reality uh, as a tool, right? That, that makes all sense in the world to me. What, you know, what I'm trying to understand is that, you know, there's a lot of discussion about how people are underestimating how important the metaverse will, will, will you know, will be in, in one's own identity, right? And, and my identity is, 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 is uh, you know, attached to the physical world around me. And I understand that, 
you know, people view that as, uh, you know, the, 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 the virtual world very similarly. You know, I, I think that people are, are, are overestimating the timeline. That's just me personally. But, you know, what's your view on how it's going to impact our identity? Because NFTs only make sense to me if your identity changes. And, you know, people, people buy, you know, people tell me that, like, well, it's just a form of art or a baseball card. I get it. But in my world, I can, I can be in my room and show you this art. And, you know, the view is that we're going to spend more and more time immersed in this virtual world. I hope that to not be true personally, but, um, you know, again, I, I am, I'm acutely aware that I may be underestimating it. I mean, I think you're right for people like us and people like us. I mean, our demographic, you know, the amount of time we likely spend gaming with each other and our peers pales in comparison to that of a 10 or 15 year old. And so as you look at how, uh, younger generations, as they age, they're going to bring their, um, you know, user behavior with them. It's the same way that when I, and I still joke around with them today, you know, when uh, I was 10 years old from our, my birthday, my dad came home with a Nintendo and we played, um, you know, hockey with each other and I beat him pretty quickly and then said, so you're this big shot surgeon and I guess my hand-eye coordination is better than you. And, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't take well to that, but, you know, it was the kind of thing that, well, within that, narrow specific use case the answer was yes but for the thirty thousands of hours that he has on me in the operating room the answer would be a uh, resounding no so you know ultimately do i think that the metaverse is about to disrupt every single facet of technology within the next 18 to 24 months do i think it will be a slow burn and there will be some very exciting incidents that expedite the adoption and inspire people to engage more deeper longer um, with these experiences, I do. We just haven't figured out what those big aha moments are that, that cause people to rush out and uh, buy these headsets on mask. However, this past year, 81% of people who used the Oculus Quest on Boxing Day used it for the first time. So uh, this past year was a, a pretty huge moment for Meta and the Oculus team as seems like this technology is catching on a lot faster than over the last few years. Yeah. You alluded to wanting to jump into this idea of NFTs and I'm, I'm, I'm very curious as to your opinion. You know, I, I, again, I am, you know, I, I own some cryptocurrencies as a hedge against my own ignorance, to be perfectly honest. You know, I, I still believe in the fundamentals of, of, of traditional currency, but um, you know, I, again, I, I never like to think I know everything. Give me your opinion on NFTs. You know, I, I, I again, I'm, I'm having a hard time and, and maybe I'm having a hard time because I think it's a bubble and there's a lot of bullshit out there that's clouding the, the real from the not real. But, uh, you know, you're giving me these little pixelated pictures and telling me they're worth 800 grand. I fully understand the laws of supply and demand. Get it. But it still doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, the, the NFT uh, craze over the last year or so um, has been uh, incredibly uh, kinetic, to say the least. You know, we've done a fair bit of strategy and will continue to about how brands can integrate into, uh, you know, the world of Web3. How should they show up? Where does the audience that they seek to resonate with exist? How do they operate? And um, ultimately, if you want to reach that audience, how do you show up? Is it in Roblox or Fortnite? Are you throwing virtual concerts? Are you, uh, you know, giving people 
early access into cool, you know, uh, generative art NFTs. So, you know, NFTs is a pretty all-encompassing term. We're seeing a lot of froth around uh, NFT art. Because I, I understand digital tickets as an example. I fully buy that every concert ticket you're going to go to will be an NFT eventually. But it's the it's the art side of it that has been very curious to me. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you were to go back to the mid 80s and you had a, a whole bunch of money from Europe and you came over into New York City uh, you know, and you looked around and said, like, OK, I want to invest in some art. Who, where, where should I go? You'd likely go to the galleries and they'd say, well, this guy Julian Schnabel is doing a thing. This guy Basquiat's pretty interesting. Oh, this guy Andy Warhol's kind of interesting. You should probably look at that. Jeff Koontz, well, he's a pretty talented guy. You might want to get in early. So, you know, I think that looking at the NFT art world, it's been fast and furious, and I think there's a there's a number of things that have been fueling that. One of which is the pretty frothy high growth crypto world. And so, if you turn seventy five grand into a few million bucks, all of a sudden, you know, you've had your risk tolerance validated. And so, you know, let it ride. Let's put you know some meaningful bucks back into that market, and you know, bet on some nascent technologies, regardless of the underlying economics and true value being exchanged and created there. Now, I might get a lot of, you know, heat in the comments or on Twitter, but, um, you know, ultimately looking at digital art, we have a lot of really meaningful relationships within the digital art uh, world. Rafik Anadol is a, a wonderful talent that uh, we've known for a few years. Matt Delorier is a world-class creative phenom from Toronto, currently based out of England, has done very well making uh, generative art NFTs. And at the end of the day, he is an artist of the highest ilk and his craft is code. Now that's different than someone making pixelated profile photos and moving them for a few hundred grand because they have the same sort of marketing strategy as Supreme streetwear. You know, it's like, so... There's a few schools of thought here, but really, I love to go to the to the root of it and meet these artists and talk to them about their craft and about their vision and mission and purpose and what inspires them and what kind of body of work they uh, have created and seek to create over their journey to really evaluate, you know, is this someone who I want to invest in? Uh, am I impressed by the art? Am I inspired by it? Do so I want to buy it to put it on a flash drive? Do so I want to buy it to put it uh, in my home? Um, because a lot of us purchase uh, art for different reasons in different ways. Are we speculating that the value is going to go up? Are we uh, are we buying it to look at every day to be inspired about its comment on the world? Uh, you know, different kind of consumers. So I got two two last things to to touch upon before I, uh, I let you go, Alistair. And and thank you once again for joining me. When you think about this intersection of technology, advertising, storytelling. What's the next big event story, whatever it might be? Like, what's going to be that transformative thing that we look back on, uh, in your opinion, over the next you know eighteen to twenty four months? It's a great question, uh, and I'm glad you asked it. I mean, we see the ecosystem strategy as the next great opportunity for brands. And when I see ecosystem strategy, I mean, how are brands behaving online, on platform, in the physical world, and how are all of these pieces connected in thoughtful, considerate uh, ways? So a great example of, uh, you know, digital tactics in a physical world, Pokemon Go. Being able to drop 
things, artifacts in the physical world, causing humans to take a real behavioral change and, and in many cases be more active than they're used to in order to unlock things, stuff, experiences um, that are all connected and have a true value exchange between the brands and business goals and, and the humans. I think that there's a tremendous amount of ground to cover around creating a story within that framework, not unlike how Hollywood has really uh, moved towards this world building phenomenon. Why put all this time and effort into you know one film when you can actually build a world and uh, create much more value than just that you know hour and a half, two hours, you create a, a Batman world and there are so many villains and so many ways of which you can tell that story. That's very compelling. And I think the technology is now there. And I know there's a, a number of great humans at Array of Stars and who work with our uh, competition as well, who are very motivated to lean in thoughtfully with great consideration to bring this kind of strategic thinking to brands, both locally and the globe. Are there any examples of brands that we would all know, traditional kind of consumer brands are doing a good job or, or are at the cutting edge of, of thinking about this the right way? Are there any examples of that? That's a good question. I mean, I would say you don't have to look too much further than um, what Nike is doing with, um, you know, scooping up, you know, shops within the Web3 NFT space, frankly. Uh, a lot of these brands are having a hard time hiring and creating their own strategies. So they're buying shops that already have the talent and are seeing that much further into the future than most. So I think Nike's doing a really good job around, you know, product drops and how that's happening both in, in uh, on digital channels and, um, you know, and in physical spaces, being able to, you know, go to Coachella and be able to access a new kind of shoe if you are in a certain space, that's pretty interesting. I mean, that layer of, of storytelling that's possible is going to be tremendously important. I mean, we're doing a project right now with uh, one of the world's leading producers of live experience. They do kid shows, they do rock and roll tours, and they're working with some of the top hip hop uh, groups in order to bring immersive experience around those, those groups. So whether it's, you know, Wu-Tang Clan or Tribe Called Quest, or they have a show on the life story of Tupac Shakur that opens in a few weeks in Los Angeles. What can you do both online and in the physical world to educate and engage people around the story of Tupac Shakur, who was a huge poet, politically active, you know, a lot of what he wrote and did is more relevant today. And so being able to drop unreleased tracks or artwork or poetry in physical spaces in, let's say, a city like Los Angeles, where people are encouraged to go and, and unlock those, those assets, some of which may be NFTs that carry tremendous value to it. These are the kind of storytelling devices that we have now, which, you know, borrow out of uh, Willy Wonka and the Charlie Chocolate Factory around finding that golden ticket. And there's only a you know, scarce number of those. I love that Pokemon Go example. You know, I, I obviously know what a craze that was. And it was really put it in perspective when you said, when you said it, because that, 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 that analogy worked really, really well. So appreciate that. So, so Alistair, you know, this was really interesting. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to uh, follow along your journey, including myself to keep up on, uh, you know, with, with what's, with what's next. What's the best way that they can uh, keep track of you personally? 
It's a great question. So I would check out uh, arrayofstars.com. And um, I'm going to be launching um, a, a blog section in a few months to really sort of showcase our thought leadership around the kinds of innovation that we see impacting how we live, how we transact, and above all, how we learn. We have a, a lot of interest in the health the healthcare space, which is you know one of the reasons why I'm working with you know our team and my father and some of his colleagues to bring augmented reality into the classroom to fill that increasingly dangerous skill gap that young uh, doctors and uh, medical students face because they're not getting the practical exposure to OR time. And so, you know, that's just one of several examples that. Spatial computing is going to deliver transformative value in the form of educational experiences. And we're really excited to, to help drive value for humans. Awesome, Alistair. Again, thank you very much. And until next time. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed what you heard, rate us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time on A Dealmaker's DNA, where you can expect the unexpected.